Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, I'm Claire Murphy. This is the Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. I took my tweezers or my tumour holding forceps and I pulled it out and I thought, gosh, what is that? It's moving. Take it out of my hands. That's New South Wales neurosurgeon Hari Priyabandi describing the moment she realised the anomaly on her patient's brain scan was actually a live parasite. It's a world first. This parasite has never been found infesting a human before. So do we need to be worried? Is this another animal-to-human transfer like we've seen in the past with things like COVID or a once-off that we'll never see again? But first, news headlines for Monday, September 4. The Voice Yes campaign has launched a TV ad which features an iconic song and some major moments in Australian history. We are right to instill national pride in our children. But please, let's make our national pride encompass humanity. It's the first time John Farnham has ever permitted the use of his song in a commercial, as scenes from the 1967 referendum, Bob Hawke's speech after Australia won the America's Cup, Marbo, Nicky Winmar's moment on the footy field where he lifted his shirt and pointed to his skin, Cathy Freeman's 2000 Olympic run, the gun amnesty after Port Arthur, Prime Minister Kevin Rudd's apology to the stolen generation, the marriage equality plebiscite success and the Uluru statement from the heart flash across the screen. The Yes campaign is hoping the ad will lift the numbers voting in favour of Yes come October 14, but a news poll published in The Australian Today shows support for the coalition has lifted since the announcement of the referendum date and support of the voice to parliament fell to 38%, while the no vote rose to 53%. Meanwhile, opposition leader Peter Dutton has said he will hold another referendum next year if his party wins government. Mr Dutton and the majority of the coalition MPs are actively campaigning against the voice to parliament, but Mr Dutton told Sky News that recognition of First Australians in the constitution was coalition policy, just not the voice, saying he would hold another referendum without the voice component if he wins at the next election. A Liberals for Yes spokesperson told the ABC that Mr Dutton doesn't have a mandate to hold another referendum and is ignoring the wishes of Aboriginal people. 
Police are investigating a death at the Burning Man Festival in the US where tens of thousands of people have been left stranded as flooding rains lash the Black Rock Desert. Organisers have shut the gates and closed access by vehicle to the site, which is now a field of mud. Attendees urged to shelter in place and conserve food, water and other supplies until the site dries out enough for everyone to not immediately get bogged. One death on the site has been reported, but police have so far not yet released details on the cause or the person's identity. France is moving to ban disposable vapes, something the country's Prime Minister says is giving bad habits to young people. PM Elizabeth Bourne says the ban is part of her country's anti-smoking plan, smoking the cause of death for 75,000 French citizens each year. Bourne saying the e-cigarettes are a way that young people get into smoking, enticing young taste buds with their sweet and fruity flavours. An existing ban on the sale of e-cigarettes to those under 18 is not widely respected in the country. Royal fans and their corgis have gathered outside Buckingham Palace to remember Queen Elizabeth a year after her passing. The dogs, a favourite breed of the late Queen, were dressed in crowns, tiaras and royal outfits as their owners paraded them outside the palace. The organiser of the event saying she would like to make the Corgi March an annual event in Elizabeth's memory. Friday will officially mark the one-year anniversary of the Queen's death, the 96-year-old monarch passing at her favourite castle in Balmoral on September 8, 2022. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. In January 2021, a 64-year-old woman in New South Wales was admitted to her local hospital after suffering through three weeks of abdominal pain and diarrhoea, night sweats and a dry cough. The doctors put her through a barrage of tests and took her medical history, finding she was born in England and had travelled to South Africa, Asia and Europe, but that was all decades before. They ruled out a virus and autoimmune diseases, and after a CT scan showed lesions on her spleen and liver and some of her lung appearing darker, they diagnosed her with pneumonia, but weren't sure of the cause. She was prescribed an anti-inflammatory steroid and did start to show some signs of improvement, But three weeks later, she ended up back in hospital with a recurring fever and persistent cough. They took a biopsy of her lung and found she did in fact have pneumonia, but there was no bacterial or fungal infections. Further testing didn't show up any parasite faecal matter in her faeces. Doctors continued to treat the pneumonia, but in 2022, the woman started to experience some more worrying symptoms. She was forgetting things, and she'd started to suffer from depression. A brain scan showed an anomaly in her right frontal lobe and in June 2022 underwent an open biopsy to see what it was. I took my tweezers or my tumour holding forceps and I pulled it out and I thought, gosh, what is that? It's moving. Take it out of my hands. That's what you heard described by Dr Hari Priyabandi at the start of the show. What she had pulled out of this woman's brain was an eight-centimetre-long third-stage larva of the Ophidiscarus robertsi, basically a parasitic worm that had made its way into her brain tissue and was happily growing and creating the symptoms she was experiencing. The patient was treated with ivermectin. Yes, the horseworming drug that many thought could cure COVID back during the pandemic, along with another worming medication. So how does a parasitic worm end up in your brain? 
The experts say it came from a snake, a carpet python to be exact, but she'd never been in contact with one. Dr Sanjaya Senananyake is an infectious disease expert and an associate professor at the Australian National University Medical School and College of Health and Medicine. He also co-authored the journal article about this case. Dr S, how does this happen? How does a worm that has never, as far as we are aware, infected a human before end up living in someone's brain? Yeah, so Claire, to understand that, it's worth going over the actual normal natural life cycle of the parasite, which never involves humans at all. So we've got carpet pythons in Australia, all up and down the East Coast. They're very prevalent. And in those carpet pythons is this parasite. And when the python defecates in the python feces will be parasite eggs. And what normally happens is that small marsupials or small mammals will eat some foliage, etc., on the ground, and that'll be contaminated with the python feces and the parasite eggs. So small mammals or marsupials ingest the parasite eggs, and the parasite develops its next stage in those animals. And at some point, another carpet python comes along and kills those mammals or marsupials, And then the more mature parasite ends up back in the snake and it completes the life cycle. So that's what happens in the normal outside world when humans aren't involved. But what we think happened with this lady is that she collects warrigal greens, which is a native grass that's found quite widely along the East Coast. And a lot of people go foraging and collect them. I'd know this beforehand, but they do. And some people consume them. They either use them in salads or stir fries, etc. And we think the most likely scenario is that the warrigal greens were contaminated with python feces and parasite eggs, and it got into our patient that way. So she eats the warrigal greens and they obviously go into her stomach first. Is this why we think she started to experience that nausea and the diarrhea and all of those kind of symptoms first? Is this the parasite travelling through her system before it eventually gets to her brain? Yeah, so I think it's also important to realise that the removal of the worm from the brain was the end of the story, not the beginning. So she'd been quite unwell for many months prior and her original symptoms were very nonspecific, diarrhea, some tummy pain, a cough, and one of the white cells in her blood called the eosinophils was elevated, and her CAT scan showed that there were abnormalities or spots on the liver and the lungs. And looking back on that, that most likely shows the larvae or worms of the parasite going through the liver and the lungs and making her sick with those particular symptoms. So she's gone through a whole bunch of testing and, you know, things are being ruled out. We think she has pneumonia for a while. She's treated for that. Eventually she ends up in hospital because of forgetfulness and depression and we find this, you know, abnormality on her brain. We've heard from the surgeon who removed it. What would it have been like in that theatre when this is pulled out of this woman's brain? I imagine this is not something that happens on a regular basis here in Australia. No, and not a regular thing that happens anywhere in the world, really. So I'm not a surgeon, so I wasn't in the operating theatre when this happened. But Dr Bandy, who's the surgeon who I've spoken to a lot about this, she says whenever you 
operate on someone's brain, you do not expect to find anything living in it, which I think is a very reasonable assumption. So when this happened, she was actually shocked. And I think as she was holding up the worm with her forceps, she was just shaking and trembling because it was just such an unexpected finding. And everyone in that operating theatre were completely stunned. Then we got the calls from the operating theatre because I was on call for infectious diseases. So I was the one who was going to offer advice about how to treat this. So when we all heard about it, we were also stunned because we do know that parasites can go to the brain and do this, but you never necessarily think in your career that you'll ever encounter one of these rare cases. Now, we've heard that she was obviously treated to be rid of this parasite. Because we haven't seen cases of this in humans before, do we know that these treatments are going to work? Have they worked? Has she been left with having to deal with the after effects of being infected by this parasite ongoing? Yeah, look, that's a very good question. And Claire, in medicine, as a patient, you want to be the most boring patient in the world. You want to be the patient where the surgeon walks in and says, oh, no, another appendicitis, how boring, and he or she yawns and walks off. That's the patient you want to be. You don't want to be something called an interesting patient, and you don't want to be the first patient in the world at something because, as you alluded to, when you're treating people who are the first patients in the world with something, you're not quite sure if it's going to work because you haven't got hundreds or thousands of cases or articles in the medical literature to guide you or guidelines. So with this case, when we knew what the worm was and where it came from, we were able to extrapolate treatment based on similar types of parasites that have been known to infect humans. And we even looked into the literature about snakes. If snakes have been treated for this, what do vets use? And something a lot of people out there may not realize is there's a huge amount of crossover between the medications vets give to our exotic pets and our domestic pets like dogs and human beings. They're often the same medication. So on the basis of that, we were able to formulate a treatment and we also thought about things like which antiparasitics are good at getting into the brain and central nervous system as well. So on the basis of that, we gave her four weeks of treatment and thankfully, ever since then, she's been in the community and hasn't had to come back to hospital. But because of those issues that you raised, we're obviously keeping in touch with her and keeping a close eye on her. We know that COVID reportedly started from animal to human transfer, that many other recent infections have too, like swine flu and bird flu. So how concerned do we need to be about a snake parasite? And do we have to now take extra care when we eat anything we forage for ourselves? At the end of the day, this is likely to be a rare infection. Now, this parasite is found in snakes in other parts of the world. So hopefully awareness of this case will lead to other human cases being identified and treated in other countries. So that's one important thing to remember. But despite all that, it's still likely to be a very uncommon or rare occurrence. So if anyone has a bit of a headache or they're feeling a bit down, 
the first thing you don't think about is a worm in your brain. You go and see your local doctor and you just go through the normal things. In medicine, we say common things happen commonly. And while it's important to have a big list of common and rare things when a patient comes to see you, you go through the common things first and rule them out before you start looking at the more exotic stuff. But the other important point you made is what the take-home message is from this case. Now, everyone sort of jumped on the living, wriggling worm because I guess there's that yuck or ick factor associated with it. But even if you take that away, Claire, what you have is the first human case of a particular infection in the world. And a lot of people think, well, there's been a hundred years between pandemics, new infections don't happen frequently, but the reality is that's not true. There have been 30 new infections in the last 30 years. So they happen not uncommonly, and 75% of those are, as you alluded to, infections that jump from the animal world to the human world, so zoonotic infections. So a really important take-home message of this case is we have to continue to be aware of these new infections. Even though we're COVID fatigued as healthcare workers, we have to ensure that our surveillance continues to identify something that might be the next pandemic. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon.